What's going on guys? Don Jr. here. Uh, this one's actually going to be a fun one. Uh, I'm here with my good friend, Sean Parnell. Uh, legit American hero. Oh, thank uh, you. you know, guy that's dabbled in politics, wanting to get in this fight. I dabble. I dabble. Well, but a, a guy that also got screwed by a system from both sides, not just, you know, the opposing side, but, but even, I guess we call it, you know, friendly fire, yeah. uh, you know, in the consultant class, but sort of an amazing story. And I think, you know, a, a, a dirty underbelly uh, of the political process uh, and what the other side, and even some of, let's call it the consultant class, <laughs> right? I think that's the safe yes. way. You meaning the guys yes. on the Republican side that make all the money. You yeah. know, there's guys that they get shitty candidates to run for office because they're rich. And even though they have no chance of actually winning, they figure they can get 15% on the ad buy and the this buy and their buddy's getting a kickback here for this. Yeah. And it's all a big money laundering operation for a couple guys who aren't fielding candidates that even have a chance, mm -hmm. but are getting really rich in the process. And I mean, I think we have a really interesting conversation to have. And I, I mean, your <laughs> stories about war, I mean, we're gonna cover a lot today. We may go along. <laughs> Sean, he came in from Pennsylvania today to do this. He calls me at about five after sitting in traffic for three hours on I-95. Like, like we haven't moved. There was like a, I mean, they were rescuing someone well, on the highway. What I was saying is like, it's when, when women in dresses are getting out of the car on I-95 North to look at the traffic and figure out what's wrong, you know it's a traffic jam, the yeah. likes of which are very, very rare. Well, and you got so screwed, because he's literally sending me pictures. He's like, I'm like four cars <laughs> away from this thing, but like, there's no going I, through it. I'm like, oh. I was worried, yeah. Hey, Rumble's been cool, they're like flexible. <laughs> I was like, hey, we're gonna go a couple hours later and just, you know, try to have some fun in the process. We roll with the punches, man. We roll with the punches, and I appreciate the flexibility, and, and hey, look, here we are, right? Yeah, so what's going on? Well, a, a lot, you know, just watching our country, what it seems like our country fall apart. I used to say on the campaign trail, and I've heard you say it actually too, if, if you were trying to destroy this country in, in you know, eight, well, at the time it yes. was eight months and now it's two years, if you're trying to destroy the country in two years or less, what would you do diff differently than Joe Biden's doing right now? The answer is nothing. Nothing. It's, you know, you, you don't want to overuse the Manchurian candidate thing, but it's like, you know, I think, you know, China doesn't give a billion dollars to Hunter. Uh, you know, they don't invest in crackheads. It's not what they do, just so, so we're clear. They, the Chinese have a diligence process, I would imagine, that does not involve, like, you know, giving, like, the Dave Chappelle crackhead character, like, a billion dollars and say, have at it. Like, Don, they paid Hunter Biden in a bag of diamonds. Uh, well, that too. Should, like, do you think? You, that's like out of a James Bond film. Oh, like, a, like a, you know, th there are some cast of characters of, like, that who we need paid, James Bond villains right now. Who gets now. paid? with a bag of diamonds. Well, what I'd like to know is, if it was me, do you think they'd have a problem with it? And why are they so strangely silent, if, if not? Well, they've already tried to, they've already tried to try you for, for treason and a yeah. litany of other things based on hoaxes. So I imagine if people were paying you with a bag full of diamonds, it would probably be a little bit worse. Well, I mean, let's talk about that, because we've, we've seen that, right? The, the double standard, the accusations. When they throw stuff at you, they did mm -hmm. that. When they throw it at me, it's like covering up the stuff that they're actually doing, right? Oh. You know, Don Jr. was leading, like, yeah, I, I needed to collude with the Russians. Like, you know, in, in, uh, in 16, I was like, we couldn't collude to order a cheeseburger. Like, we had no idea what was going on. We just had a good message. We understood the people. We went out there and delivered. And I think the policies then actually followed through and did amazing things. But you experienced some of that, you know, running where 
I mean, they, they threw out the most slanderous mm -hmm. uh, things they could possibly say about you, your ex-wife, your children. I mean, mm -hmm. but it felt like everyone got in on the system. And then the second you withdraw from a race that I think you would have, I mean, I had endorsed you before mm -hmm. anyone else was in the race. You know, like, you're the guy that could win that race in Pennsylvania. The second you're like, well, I, I got to fight these battles. I got to try to save my children and my relationship there. Mm -hmm. Oh, we were just kidding. Like, not, not, there was nothing really there. I, I, well, Talk I'll about it, because I, mean, yeah. I don't think people fully understand that story, and they also don't understand that it wasn't just the Democrats. They threw plenty at you, no, and I'd love you to talk about that, what you can, because obviously there's still sort of, you know, most of it, I think, is litigation in the court of public opinion yeah. as opposed to anything else. But, like, everything I've seen, it's like it was total bullshit, and it didn't matter because they got what they wanted at the time. They force you into an untenable situation. You're not like some of the other people that were running. You, you're not from the billionaire class. You're a hardworking blue-collar guy. You did well for yourself. You've wrote, written books, fiction and nonfiction. You were an American hero. But you couldn't sustain that no. legal battle. And they, no. they knew that, so they did what they could to get you out. And yeah. now, well, now we have John Fetterman. Yeah, so can I, let me start at the beginning. Yeah. You know, I ran for Congress in, in 2020. In a very very important swing district in Western Pennsylvania, PA 17. Now I had never, I'll tell you, I'll tell, actually tell you the story. Like I had really no plans to run for political office. I had, like you said, I was I was writing books. I was I was working hard to have the them developed into miniseries, screenplays, whatever. Um, I got I have a service dog charity where we travel around the country and we surprise veterans with service dogs. I mean that is what I was doing. And then your dad comes to Western Pennsylvania. And I didn't even know he was coming to Western Pennsylvania because at the time, I think I was in the Carolinas or something giving away a service dog. And I had just come off the stage and my phone like is in my pocket and it's just vibrating over and over and over again. And I, and I look and I have like 50 missed calls, you know, some of them are like from reporters, consultants, and right. my, my mom was calling me over and over and over again. And she, I pick up the phone and I'm like, mom, what's going on? Cause you know, I just walk off yeah. the stage and she goes, Sean, are you running for Congress? And I said, Ma, no, I'm not, I'm not running for Congress. And she says, well, President Trump says you're running for Congress. And I'm like, what? And so, so I, I'm like scrolling through my text and I see this video of your dad up on stage. We saying, yes, yes, saying no, Sean Bonnell's gonna run against Connor Lamb. So that's so that's how I got into it. And after after that, so I've told that story on the campaign trail a couple times, Don. But after that, I asked Melanie, who's my wife, uh, now. I said, you know, I don't know if I want to do this because, you know, look what they did to Brett Kavanaugh, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. if, and I was afraid, Don. I, no, was, I mean, he was a know? gang rapist that managed to get to like the, the circuit court of appeals and be one of the most public figures in the judiciary. But like, yeah. it was only once he could get on the Supreme Court that that's he became a gang rapist. Like, that's exactly right. When was this ever fucking plausible? That's like, exactly right. And but, so, you know, I, Christine Blasey Ford. Unflappy. She must be believed. <laughs> why? I, like, I, why? She seemed like a lunatic to me. Yes. So be believe, believe all women is a dangerous premise. And I'll right. tell you why in, in a little bit. But, you know, I, so, I, so Melanie said, Sean, like, president called you out. I don't care what you got to do it. You, because <laughs> if, if you, if you, she's amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. So Melanie was like, so she tells me, like, if you, if you let them control you, that is a form of political terrorism. True. And they use those accusations to scare normal, decent, good people away from running for office. And I think that's part of the reason, Don, why we have so many dirtbags 
on both sides of the aisle in Washington. They call it a swamp for a reason. Yeah. And so I get, I get in, I run for Congress in PA 17 in a highly contested swing district. I speak at the convention. Your dad supports me every step of the way. Um, the election was a, was a total disaster, and I can, I can talk about that all you want, but I, well, that's I, mean, I, a whole I do want to talk story. about that because we got to figure out how to win these things. You know, there's mm. not sort of, you know, the ghost of Hugo Chavez came back and manipulated the machine. <laughs> like, that stuff was bullshit, and I think everyone knew. But the other side says, that's what they really mean. But there were things that went on in individual districts. And, like, when you look at these, it doesn't take much. You know, one guy doing well, something. It wasn't like it was one process that was done everywhere. Right. There were things that were done a little bit here, a little bit there. Didn't, there didn't even have to be unity. You just have to have a couple yeah. people acting as bad actors to, to change these elections. Well, and, and first of all, you know, once in a hundred year pandemic, right? Yeah. The first time in no, Pennsylvania where, we, where we've used no excuse mail in, in, no excuse mail in ballots. And, you know, you look at the, what happened after the election. You have people in Homeland Security coming out and saying, well, this, no, no, no. This was the most secure election yeah. in American Why? history. Well, because we said so. Like, there's, well, there's no evidence that that's the case, right? They just, just said it. Don, think about it. It makes no sense. Once in a 100-year pandemic, there's total chaos. We're still in the midst of lockdowns. It's the first time we implemented a system where we're sending ballots to millions of people. If the government had come out and said, you know what, like, we had some problems. Yeah. You know, we're going to get better. It wasn't perfect, but we're going to improve. Yeah. I would have believed that more because that's actually plausible. And so if you think, yes. think about this, like the top of the ticket in 2020, as it pertains to your dad, um, you had your father, you had, you had Joe Biden and you had the libertarian candidate in Pennsylvania, the libertarian candidate in Pennsylvania got about 80,000 votes. What was your dad's margin in Pennsylvania? It was about that. Yeah. So right then and there, Republicans are at a disadvantage. And the part of the reason why is that the, the Democrats in conjunction with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court removed in the lead up to 2020, the Green Party candidate from yeah. the ballot. So typically Green Party candidate votes typically siphon votes away, away from Democrats. Libertarian votes uh, siphon votes away from the Republican. Uh, they negate out. But yeah. the Democrats didn't have to worry about that in 2020. So they, they did a great job at setting conditions at the top of the ballot in Pennsylvania to set them up for success. But also, you know, when you talk about the way we conducted the election, everything that the Democrats did because there was a Democrat governor operating via executive order yeah. with emergency powers in the middle of a pandemic. It was all legal, right? Yeah. But but we have never conducted an election like that ever. And what and wasn't, they said, well, it's extenuating circumstances. Then they bully a Republican on a panel who doesn't want to go against them because they don't absolutely. want people protesting in their backyard. You know, who these are you know, low-level guys, but they have a little decision-making power for the first time ever, and they just don't want to be bullied, so right. they fold. And so you think about it like this. In Pennsylvania, all right, we removed any semblance of a deadline for mail-in ballots. Yeah. We removed the signature verification for mail-in ballots. There was no ID requirement for mail-in ballots. There was no postmark requirement for mail-in ballots. Add to that the fact that you have Zuckerbucks, where Mark Zuckerberg was mm -hmm. pouring millions of dollars in the state to fund these drop boxes in heavily Democratic precincts. So you move all the safeguards from mail-in ballot system, and then you put drop boxes in heavily Democratic yeah. areas. Trust us. Yeah, and, 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 and a common misconception is that most of this happened in Philadelphia. And yet, you know, if you walk down the yeah. streets of Philadelphia and you say to somebody, like, is there voter fraud here? Are you talking to a Democrat or Republican? And they'll laugh and be like, bro, it's of Philadelphia. Of course. Of course like, what are you talking about? But yeah. it was really this Allegheny County. Mm -hmm. was the was perhaps pro the most egregious offender in, in, in 2020 in, in terms of lack of standards. Now, again, Democrat governor, everything they did was was legal. Um, 
did well, advise the game. We got to learn how to play that game. You know, we yeah. want, and I, I agree with all of this, but it doesn't matter because you can't win with that right now. Meaning, same day, paper ballots, Correct. ID, like like the rest of the civilized world actually uses. But guess what? Until you actually have power to implement that, you got to play the game on their battlefield. Oh, there's, you know, they've, they've yeah. set that pieces. They've done it well. We sit there and be like, oh, this is wonderful. But like, Correct. You, you can't, can you win? No. The answer is, if, if we continue to operate the way that we're operating on the political battlefield, mm -hmm. right? With, uh, no, you can't win. There is a pathway forward in Pennsylvania. I know exactly what we need to do to win there. But you know, Pennsylvania is a, is a tough hill to climb yeah. as it is just by virtue of the registration deficit that Republicans have. Like, yeah. Republicans cannot win in the state of Pennsylvania with just Republican votes. Yeah. Democrats have like over 400,000 person now voter registration advantage with 1.2 million independents. So whoever the Republican is gonna be, you gotta get your Republican votes, you probably gotta get 90% of the Republican votes, you gotta get 60% of the independent votes, and you have to get you know disen disenfranchised blue collar Democrats. And this, by the way, Don, this was something that your father was so yeah. good at doing. If you look and analyze his path and the way that he won in 2016, it had never been done before in that state. Oftentimes, Republicans talk about the suburbs. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're really important. Toomey's, but if you look at Senator Toomey's plan versus your dad's and what the, the path in yeah. Pennsylvania, two very different paths, and they both won, yeah. right? And what Republicans need to do moving forward is find a candidate that can bring out low propensity voters that had never voted before an election in their life, but came out to vote for your dad while simultaneously carrying the suburbs, having a message yeah. to win there. But I, I also think we got to be playing the ballot harvesting of game. Of course, right? Of like, course. You know, I bet, you know, whether it's Allegheny County or Philadelphia, like I went to school in Philadelphia. I went to, <laughs> you know, I went to school for five years outside of Philadelphia yeah. before that. Like, I bet you there's a lot of voters there that couldn't tell you who the candidates were, yeah, well, who, who filled out ballots and voted. You know, and maybe, by the way, maybe legally, but not in an informed manner. Not in, you know, if we're not playing that same game, right? And you know, we, we like to collect votes. Oh, you'll vote on that election day. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks so much. Mm. You know, they're walking away with a ballot, and being like, and yeah. they're they're cashing that chip immediately. And until we play that game, I don't think you actually have a chance. I think I'd love to believe the candidate mattered, and it it does to an extent. But it does like, to an extent, it, it doesn't matter if we're not playing that same well, game. They have a two month long election day yeah and we're you know we're hoping it doesn't snow so that our people show up that day like that's so, not a great way so to win in the, the pathway the pathway forward in pennsylvania there's it's a two-fold strategy that republicans should have been implementing yesterday but i i will say this the republican party in western pennsylvania is in disarray they they struggle with funding um and frankly it's a bunch of old school republicans who haven't, get it. They don't get it. And so right now, Republicans need to be focusing on voter registration and doing everything that they can to throw money behind projects that close the registration gap. Because the Democrats have a formidable advantage. And if you give them two months lead time to vote, like they've already got a 400 plus thousand person voter yeah. registration advantage. So focus on whittling that down before 2024 and then shift into a, a phased mail-in ballot where you're going out and you're going to people's doors, you're getting low propensity voters, what you call one of four voters, people that vote one time in every four election cycles, knock on their door, say, have you filled out a mail-in ballot? If you haven't filled it out, hey, there's an automatic opt-in button. Like, find them, get them a ballot, make sure that they vote. And this process should have been happening three months ago in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, we're already behind the curve. It's not too late, but we're behind the curve. Um, but to, to, your, to your point about, to, to your initial questions about like what happened to me, um, you know, jump in for Senate. Uh, we, we didn't take 
hardly any downtime from that run for Congress, yeah. which, by you, the you way... You went right into it. I, I know. I was, it was, it was, I was there early pushing. I was like, you're the guy that I think could win. And, and like, uh, I was telling you the story earlier, and I think we had this conversation since, you know, uh, you know Andy Sarabian or not, my team yeah. and your team. And, you know, I was driving, it was, I guess, November, uh, December of last year, and I was driving, because I had, like, a long drive, so I was just banging through all these calls and stuff like that. I was by myself. I was driving from South Dakota to Montana. I was going on a hunting trip with a couple buddies. And I was talking about your race to Andy. He goes, "Listen, we got a we got a little problem. You know, you know, Doctor Oz is going to enter the race." I go, "Well, you know, listen, I know I know him through New York Circle. I think he's a good guy." And I get, I go, "That's going to be really hard to win in a general election." Mm -hmm. And Andy looks at me like, "What are you talking about?" I go, "Well, he's running as a Democrat, right?" And I, and I mean, <laughs> I, and I like the guy. I think he's a good. But like, I, I assumed he was running as a, like, probably not. Yeah. The ideal candidate to run in Pennsylvania at the time. You may like him. I think he believes in a lot of these things now. But like. I'm reasonably well-informed in this stuff, and I just assumed he was a Democrat off yeah. the bat. It's probably not going to bring out the sort of red meat-based Republicans that I think you, you would speak, I've seen you speak to. I mean, yeah. we, we've done those events. I mean, we had an awesome time you know, with Ted Nugent oh, you know, when, when we did God. that event. And Thousands that was of people were there. Blue-collar Democrat Pittsburgh, and like we had Do you remember, 5, you remember you people asked, in the crowd. You remember you asked, like, how many of you are Republicans? Do you remember how many, yeah. or Democrats? Do you remember how many hands? Like, like 60, yeah, it's insane. Like, of them. Like, we're like, yep, and we're voting Democrats, for this guy. Yeah. You know, that was the flip. That's the one thing Joe Biden has gotten right in the last, the other day when he's like, would you believe that you know, blue-collar people are voting for Republicans? Of course they're fucking voting for Republicans, mm. you imbecile. Like, <laughs> you, you, you despise basic Americans. You, you know, you, you've shipped mm. off the American dream to China. It's the only yeah. export we've actually created is the American dream to everyone who hates our guts. You, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about the military in a little bit, right? but... You know, but talk further about exactly what happened to you in that one, because I saw it happening firsthand. But, like, I don't think people understand. I mean, yeah. as vicious as this game is, you, know, you said it, like, it's worse than anything you experienced in combat. And this By guy far. experienced real combat. Like, yeah. you know, he um, wasn't like Pete Buttigieg. You know, it's a little bit, <laughs> well, I mean, That's where, true. where's the lie? I, you know, there you, is no lie. I'm not allowed to say that because <laughs> I didn't, you know, drive around, you know, on a military base for a little bit. But, like... You you did these things, and it, you said it's literally worse than actual combat. Yeah, like I, you know, because Don, I'm not, I'm not a political type. If that makes sense, like I was an outsider that jumped into this because, you know, I love this country. Mm -hmm. Period. End of story. I don't care about the Republican Party. I don't care so much about the Democrat Party. I care about doing what's right on behalf of the American people. And sometimes, you know. In this day and age, it means almost always taking a stand against what the radical Democrats are doing because what they're trying to do when they talk about transforming the nation, that means tearing down what was already built. And I think what we have here is pretty damn good and exceptional. And I'm going to, you know, my mission was to stop them from changing that. But also Republicans, when we get it wrong, you know, yeah. do right on behalf of the people. That was my mission. And, you know, we built a, an amazing movement when we ran for Congress. And that's part of the reason why I said, you know, when people came to me and said, you should run for Senate, I was like, I don't know. That's. I, I wasn't successful in my first run. It seems like it would be like a big jump just to run for Senate. Um, but we we had Democrats that were coming out and campaigning for us. You know, we, yeah. we had we were knocking on we were going. Actually, we were also going to heavily Democratic areas and doing everything that we could to build bridges there. And, and by the way, I was with you. I felt it the was vibe. fun. Like, it, it was fun. We had a great time and it was a yeah. unifying message. Yeah. You know, if you love this country, we don't always have to agree on everything. But if you love Sean, this country, you Sean, can stand with me, please. Please stop being racist. <laughs> I'm you're, sorry. You're, you're racist, misogynist, my, and homophobic for for loving your country and for believing in those. I'm sorry that my white guilt uh, got the best yes. of me. 
All right, yes, I'm uh, sorry. Your privilege, uh, <laughs> you know, but that's what they'd have you believe at this point. That's like, exactly that's, right. That's like a real attack. Like I mock it because I've gotten to the point, you know, they attack me every day. I'm at the point maybe where they try to cancel me probably makes me stronger. So mm -hmm. like have at it folks. Um, you know, they'll try to get me for the Pete Buttigieg one and you know, I'll say, fine, how about this? Like pick a military discipline, I'll compete against Pete. Let's see who does better. Like it, it's fine. Like, you know. You are a pretty good shooter. I can hold my own. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you do, you're I, good I won you a lot do. of those kind of bets where they're like, oh, the kid from New York, that's not gonna work. But, the son of a billionaire yeah, can shoot a rifle? Yeah, 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 right. Then you win. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm undefeated in like Governor's Clay shoots also. So I can also shoot a shotgun. It's, I, I hold a pretty good record. But, you know, talk about the, the like what they tried to do to you to, um, to just prevent. I think they realized, and the Republicans did it too, which was more disgusting. It yeah. wasn't like, hey, let's talk about policy. They took, you know, they weaponized your ex wife and, um, you know, lies. And that, that, you know, conveniently, of course, you know, like you mentioned Kavanaugh, perfect example. Like, the second it was not an issue anymore, they disappeared. Oh, I ran and didn't for have to be any Don, I ran for Congress in one of the biggest swing districts in the country. I spoke at the Republican National Convention in prime time. None of this. In fact, yeah. when the media inquired like national. Well, that that, that yeah. I'll tell you and what a lot more money. That's exactly right, Don. And I didn't I didn't realize that going into it and just call it I was naive going into it, but there are, it, for Republicans anyway, about fifty Senate seats up for grabs in the country, you know? Um, if we're lucky, maybe 51. Yeah. But every billionaire, rich, and powerful person in the world, are, they, they hang on fight. every single race. And in the state of Pennsylvania, I mean, what, the race was over $300 million. So yeah. um, lots of money, lots of power on the line. Lots and of people getting rich. Not a lot of great people, like, nope. you know, that, that are involved at that level mm -hmm. that watch races like that, frankly. And so I, you know, n never had a single issue during my run for Congress. In fact, when the media... Um, inquired into my personal life, and at the time I was going through a divorce and a custody fight. I'm still going through a custody fight. Yeah. My ex stood with me and, and said, "Hey, look, our private life is our private life. You know, um, Sean and I, we both love our kids. Just basically go away." And and, th and that was that. And but then it flipped. Then it didn't happen for Senate. Um, we, that didn't happen. And literally, for so, and so you even so, had judges citing like. That you're leading as a candidate. I mean, I remember reading this. Like, you're yeah. leading as a candidate. Therefore, he shouldn't be able to have custody of your ship, which was never a problem before. And then the left weaponizes that to all of a sudden, you're a terrible father. It's So I'll tell you the timeline. Sick. Like, you know. And as a father of five young kids, like. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's a declaration of war. Don, uh, yeah. Look, like, I'll just give you the timeline looking back now. Because it's easy to be, like, a Monday morning quarterback. And, yeah. like, when you're in it, right? And you're in this haze, it's hard to see through it. And what I mean by that is, like, when you've got, you know, I had every media outlet, it seemed like every media outlet in the country at my custody trial. I mean, I walked out yeah. of the trial and there were 50 cameras there. So yeah. I'm not used to that. And by the <laughs> so, way, you have no, I mean, as a man, you have no, not, no chance anyway, right? But Oh, well, it, yeah, we can talk about that all yeah. you want because I'm learning a lot about that. But let me give you the timeline and I'll let the viewers decide what they think about this, right? I get in for Senate, you know, basically every judge in my county in Western Pennsylvania blanket recuses my case. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court, 5-2 Democrat supermajority, specially appoints you know, a Democrat judge who's not from my county over my custody case. Your dad endorses me, I think, I don't remember the exact date, but it's sometime like, I think in like September, I think. Mm -hmm. But whatever exact date it was, that same day, and I know because I have the email, uh, private custody records and other things were leaked to the media that same day, and also to my donors from Republican campaigns.
And I'm thinking, where are they getting all this information? Like, some of this stuff isn't supposed to be out there. And then the custody trial was in November. And when we initially, when, when my ex initially filed for a custody modification, because if you're, if you're, if you go through a divorce, yeah. right, custody modifications can happen at any time, right? right? Yeah. Because it's always about what's in the best interest of the kids. When it was initially filed, it was over homework and extracurriculars act activities. And somewhere along the way, all that changed. And I get into the custody trial and all of a sudden I get accused of this horrific, horrific things. You know, I, I got a, a, just horrific things. And by the way, Don, all of this stuff had already been like these things that, that were being brought out in the trial in front of every media outlet in the country. All of these things, all of these accusations had already been litigated three years prior in a court by a judge where a judge said those aren't and thrown true. out entirely. So, and, and, and so I thought to myself, like, this is yeah. this We're is in the clear. This, this is, is America. Like, like how, how many times can you be charged with the same crime in America? But here's the thing: in family court, it's as many times as you want because there's no clear and convincing standard in family court. There's no clear and convincing standard of evidence at all. And so basically, it's like he said, she said, and whoever the judge thinks is most credible is who wins. You see, like, I, and you talk about dad struggling in family court. Now, yeah. since I've been in this. You know, I, I feel like I've become an advocate. And by the way, this has been... Like, by the way, you should be. As, as, like, this is something, like when even in this or on social, the amount of guys that reach out to me, is there anything I can do? Uh, you know, I'm not saying all of them are perfect, but like many are, and you just see them getting fucked by a system that is so uh, brutal to them. There's, you know, it's like, well, probably like me too, meaning guilty until proven innocent by a standard that's impossible to meet and not by any other system that's ever been like that in America. I mean, I see it, the amount of dads, I believe the vast, vast majority of them, just good dads trying to do right by their kids and try to be involved in their lives, getting screwed over in a process is, is scary how many reach out to me about like, is there well, anything you can do? And I'm like, honestly, I think if I came out, you know, trying to help you, it would probably make your <laughs> yeah, situation yeah, much yeah, worse because, yeah. you know, whatever lunatic judge would be like, this guy's gotta be. Well, I think, I will admit, I will say that I do think that the, that the public perception of me being a Trump guy, I mean, that, that, oh, colors, that colors everything, like, yeah, yeah. you know, but, and I, but don't get me wrong, like, I don't care, like, your father and you, you all launched my political career, you all, and your, you, your father, you stood by me through all of that, and that means a lot to me, um, because how, when how you go- How many people didn't? Well- How many, how many people is, sort of, like, they heard the news, they read the headline, is, and they're like, yep. You know, I um, a lot of people. You know, I had, I had, uh, you know, you reached out to me. You were there for me. Megyn Kelly reached out to me. Tucker Carlson reached out to me. Scott Pressler reached out to me, um, and there were there were some others. Um, and and I feel like the people that know me um, know the real me and know that like I am not capable of doing those types of things that I was accused of. Um, they reached out to me and stood by me. But by and large, you know. It's a pr those types of accusations, whether they're leveled at you in a family court or somewhere else, they're sinister because, yeah. you know, I, a co very close friend of mine is a sheriff and said, you know, oh my gosh, like, I love Sean. I think he's a really nice guy, but who knows what happens behind well, closed doors? And, and, it seeds the yeah. sows of, it sows I get that the seeds of doubt, you know? It's, it's, I saw that, I used the example of like, you know, General Flynn, right? Well, the CIA said that he was doing this stuff. The FBI, you know, back before mm -hmm. when I thought these guys actually were doing good work and weren't like literally corrupt, uh, broken bureaucrats. I was like, well, there must, there must be something to it. These guys, yeah. you know, and then that's when you realize you have to make the distinction between the door kicker. 
Mm -hmm. You know, the, the amount of guys I see, FBI agents, the guys doing the work. Sure, like the actual, yeah. like, They're like, hey man, love what you guys are doing. We're so sorry, it's, it's insane, but we're like, we're powerless. If we said anything, we'd be out in two seconds. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, you know, I, I get it because, and look, the, the things that I'm the things that I'm talking about. This is the first time I've ever talked about. I'm going to think this timeline that I'm talking about, like yeah. the press who is probably watching this, go out and verify it on your own. Look at this stuff on your own. It's all a hundred percent. Well, and you, you also want to know why it's bullshit? Because the second you got out of the race, it's not an issue anymore. Meaning yeah. they weren't like if you did the things they were accusing you of or alleging, like there'd be an investigation. There would be police knocking on your door. There would be yeah, X, Y, Z happening. Instead, no, 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 we got what we wanted. We're just kidding. And, uh, and it, look, it just and, shows you how vicious that system is. You know? Well, yeah, and you look, like, let's not even make it political. Like, let's look at what happened to Senator Warnock. The same thing happened to him. Exactly the same thing. Similar accusations, custody trial, a, a contested custody trial, not any media attention. Like, in fact, if you're watching this right now, throw yeah. it in Google, you might find one article. But every single from well, he, he like there's a police report of him running over his wife, wasn't there? Some yes, crazy? yeah. Like, there's nothing, I mean, nothing like but, that for but me. But he's yeah. the Democrat guy running nothing. for Senate, so we're not just a gonna single, cover it. not a, not a hardly any story, yeah. Don. Like almost nothing. And that's and why the Republicans like we're working. We're not just competing against their ideas or their value. You're competing against them plus a trillion dollar mainstream media machine plus a trillion dollar yeah. big tech yeah. enterprise that's literally functioning as the marketing department of the other side. Like we're not in a fair fight. Uh, makes no. me want to fight harder, but it, it just, you got to understand we're working from a deficit from instant number one. And, and you talk about, you talk about like my decision making, and, and again, I haven't talked about this, but the decision making that I went through when I, I when I was trying to decide what I was going to do in that race, because I don't quit, I've never quit anything else, and I've never quit anything in my entire life. Um, but I knew by virtue of this custody order. I mean, the most significant factor weighed. And again, this is all public knowledge. You can go out and read the order. Go, go out and read the order yourself. Um, you know, right there in the order, Sean is a leading candidate for Senate. Now, this is not some... I, I, I testified yeah. to that when I was asked, do you think that you're going to win? I said, well, hell yeah, I think I'm going to win. Right. Um, so it, but in the, the order, significantly, you know, father is a leading candidate for Senate and essentially like be all over the state, be busy. And that was one of the main factors, the main reasons that the judge awarded my ex primary custody. And so what I did was, as I said, okay, uh, I'm going to take that off the table because my kids, yeah. I've got five kids too. I've got an amazing blended family. You know how that happens, right? Yes. Okay, yes. I know now yeah. and I've got new hobbies. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, my, I got into politics because it's less brutal than raising young kids and trying to do it right. Yeah, that's actually, that's actually true. Uh, it is, it is. Kids, kids teach you like, crazy things like they kids are amazing because they teach you new things about life every day but my kids are are everything to me okay. i've always had an unbelievably close relationship with them yeah. and in fact the first paragraph in the judge's order is like these are two great parents so i to a certain extent the judge saw that as well yeah. um but i knew that that one my time with my kids at least for the foreseeable future was going to be greatly diminished and they needed me to be there for them yeah. period end no, of story full stop um but I thought that if I could remove the Senate campaign from the table and file a motion for re reconsideration, the judge might say, because if it's always about the best interest of the kids, they always come first. I thought that he might say, you know what? Okay, the Senate campaign's gone. Let's go back to equal shared parenting, which, by the way, should be the standard nationwide. This gladiator stuff in family court is wrong. You talk about dads having a rough go of it. Like, listen to this statistic. The, the Dad's Resource Center, which is a Pennsylvania family court uh, resource group for fathers, um, 
they did a study of 15 random samples of contested custody trials in 15 counties across the state of Pennsylvania, 700. So when I say contested custody trials, I mean mom and dad fighting over who should have the children. So like, like 400, over 400 times, or 400 times the mother got primary custody, 104 times in the state of Pennsylvania in order of shared custody, and 100 times father got primary custody. I, so I'm, if that I'm is not- I'm surprised it's even that high. I, I, I'm telling you, if that is I've not evidence- I've seen stories that, you know, like father, hardworking guy, mother, drug addicted, accusing this, schizophrenic, and it's like, well, we can't do anything about it. It's like, wait, you, you, you're gonna leave a child, a baby, with a schizophrenic, drug addicted mother, but not, yeah. not a parent, not a here's, father that's like, well, it's the mother, it's just- Here's my thoughts on this, Don. Like, when you go through something as horrible as divorce, and it is terrible, yeah. Kids don't ask for it, you know? Yeah. Children deserve to love both parents. Children des deserve to have a relationship preserved mm -hmm. with both parents. And frankly, one of our most sacred constitutional rights, and this is upheld by the Supreme Court, uh, is the ability to raise our own children without state intervention, right? But that is folks. violated yeah. in family court every not just for me think about this and and i know that you know what i'm talking yeah. about here given what you you and well, your that's father being violated are in public school systems if it can right happen now, to right? me if it can happen to me if yeah. it can happen to me how many other tens of thousands of of people not even just fathers just people is this happening to because you talk about the family yeah. court we're talking about that it's not just sometimes the injustice of the orders itself that that gives kids to one parent or the other yeah it's the tens of thousands of dollars in a system that bleeds families bone dry and puts them in poverty. And you know, equal shared parenting should be the standard across the board. It's something that Congress and Senate, I think both sides of the aisle should take up. It should be a federal law. Yeah. Um, it, you know, but you know who fights against this the most? The state bar associations and family court attorneys. Why? Because they benefit the most. For, they, they benefit the most. They make the most money from the dysfunction. Yeah. And, it's wrong, and we shouldn't allow it to happen in, in, in a country like America. I agree. Now, I want to get to your rather illustrious so military <laughs> career. I do. Before I do that, i got to remember, we got to start talking. And I'm, I'm like, sorry. hey, no, no, no. It, it, hey I, I love it. I hope you guys love it. And honestly, this is one. I, we may just do a show on this one because it, it, literally it's such a disproportional request I get because so few people are willing to say that. You know, it makes you a terrible person if you're a dad saying, hey, man, I think some dads are getting screwed big time. And you know, it, it's crazy, but I do want to thank our sponsors, guys. Uh, Gold Co., go to donjuniorgold.com. These are companies, uh, if you're watching the world and you're seeing the world go to crap and you're seeing inflation, you're seeing, you know, us being on the brink of war, you see what's going on in interest rates. Uh, if you want to hedge against that, maybe you want to look at diversifying your portfolio, check out, you know, maybe precious metals. Go to Gold Co. Uh, and go to donjuniorgold.com. I got to say that because... These are companies that actually it takes balls to like support a show I, like this and to, you know, to do know. that. So <laughs> I want to make sure they go and actually do that. And also that those companies actually understand where it's coming from, because you've seen cancel culture. You've seen how difficult that is. So, you know, go check them out. Uh, Gold Co's done a great job with that. But, you know, my URL for that is Don Jr. D-O-N-J-R gold dot com. And again, uh, if you're like me and you see the world going to crap and you've heard me bitching about this for uh, every episode thus far, and probably on all my other social media, maybe it's a good hedge. But remember to support those companies that share your values. And if you have the guts to come out here to support a show like this in the age of cancel culture, in an age where they've weaponized 
you know, going after companies uh, for even supporting a conservative, let alone taking those kind of positions. I think it's really important. So donjuniorgold.com, check it out. Maybe a great hedge against that. But now I want to talk a little bit about, obviously, your military service. Uh, sort of incredible stuff. You know, I, I've heard the stories, but I don't know that everyone else does. Uh, you know, how'd you get into it first and foremost? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, so I was a sophomore in college. I don't, I don't come from a military family, yeah. you know. And you were going to be a teacher, right? Yeah, I was an elementary education major. Um, I remember waking up in this rundown college apartment, sleeping on this rundown college couch. I'm not really sure how I got there. Crushed Iron City beer cans. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh, so Iron right, City beer I, cans I everywhere, cigarette butts all on the floor. I remember staggering over to the television set. We were like a natural light or natty ice if we were going to really spoil ourselves in college, so I, yeah. you know, I understand. Yeah, so I remember like staggering over to the television set, the world's spinning, I have the hangover of a lifetime. I, I turn it on and I watch the TV flicker to life just in time to see an airplane crash into the World Trade Center. Ooh. And, and you know, I sobered up real quickly and I remember, you know, staggering back and sitting on that rundown couch and watching 9-11 unfold on my TV. People tumbling from those flaming towers and landing on the sidewalk and dying. People that were lucky enough to survive that fateful day, yeah. stagger out of the wreckage, uh, covered from head to toe in that thick gray soot. And the only thing you see were the yeah. bloodshot eyes and a thousand yards there. You remember that? I, you know, and I wasn't even there. Uh, you know, ironically, like I... I graduated from the Wharton School of Finance and I moved to Colorado to be a bartender so I could, you know, hunt and fish and just make sure I knew what I was getting into before <laughs> going. Like, so 9-11, like, I came out of the mountains. I was elk hunting that morning. I came out of the mountains. I read about, I heard it on the radio. Just like a plane. I was, I think, I figured it was some moron in a Cessna. Yeah, that's what, I, I didn't know what was thought. going on at first. It was early yeah. morning. I, and like a little bit more time, I was like, literally the next day I was in my car, you know, driving home because like that was my home. I knew people that worked <laughs> in those buildings and, you know, but the whole leaving to go to Colorado to be a bartender after graduating from Wharton, that was a conversation that, <laughs> like, with my father that was rather interesting. Yeah. I was like, hey, yeah, you did what? I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's going to, you know, that was a... How did that, how did that go? That is, that is... That was a, that was rough. You know, like, that was like, you know, Hillary at the debates rough. Yeah, uh, you know, wow. so it, it, it was an interesting one, and it was like, okay, well then, you know, you're cut off, and you got no credit card. The only thing they forgot to cancel was my gas card, so I literally, like... You know, I worked at a bar, I did fine, and once you sort of, in small, like, ski town in Colorado, like, once you became local, you sort of ate for free, and, like, I worked in a bar, so you took care of the guy that took care of you earlier. It was, like, one big barter system, but, like, yeah, and I made up the differential, basically, by, like, living off gas station food. Like, so the gas station sushi <laughs> thing is real, and it's, uh, it may not be ideal, but you can survive. Yeah, God, that's almost like a modern-day Bruce Wayne story without the Batman, where you just disappear <laughs> yeah. and die. No Batman, I just went fishing in the yeah. like, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, after 9-11, I was just so affected by that, I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd, up until that point in time in my life, I had really, I, I never really knew what my life's purpose was going to be, and, and I heard my mom told, tell me, and I've heard it said, you know, two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you figure out why. And... In the, in the wake of our most horrific terrorist attack in our nation's history, I just feel like I knew exactly why God put me on this earth, and that was to serve in the military, you mm -hmm. know? And I went down to the recruiter, said I wanted to go to airborne school so the Army could teach me how to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. I wanted to go to ranger school because I knew it was the best leadership school that the Army had to offer. And I wanted to be the best leader that I could for my, for my future soldiers. And 
And then I wanted to be on the front lines of America's collective response. And man, Don, I got, I ended up going to all those cool, sexy schools and uh, PCS'd up to, uh, moved up to Fort Drum, New York, which is, uh, you know, I don't know if you know who that is in Northern New York, two seasons up there, like July and winter with the 10th Mountain Division. Oh, yeah. And I was assigned an infantry platoon and eight months before we went to Afghanistan, we did everything we could to shoot, move and communicate together as a team. But, you know, we found ourselves boots on the ground um, in January of 2006 in, in, what, in what we call RC East, Regional Command East in Afghanistan, probably about five kilometers from the Pakistan border. We controlled my platoon. First of all, our mission was to find Osama bin Laden. And this was again in 2006. Yeah. So my platoon, we had a company, we had a full company that was thrown out there and we were in charge of everything from Bermel, well, from Margah, which is a town where we built the very first combat outpost there in 2007. To Bermel, all the way down to Shkin. When Shkin, I mean, that, that's all—that's the Wild West. That's I mean, Pakistan. Yeah, that's, that's Pakistan. Like, yeah, like we 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 chased the enemy into Pakistan more than a few times. I mean, we got shot at from Pakistan. So this base that I was assigned to, um, it was Ford Operating Base Bermel. We took over four thousand and four hundred and eighty-five days of combat, sixteen straight months of combat, over four thousand indirect fire attacks, and those are rockets and mortars and artillery. And I mean, we got hundreds of direct fire engagements with the enemy. Now, by the way, like this was not something, you know, a lot, you know, in 2006, you know, you, you read about, I'm sure you know about the horse soldiers and yeah. the invasion of Afghanistan and driving the Taliban back into Pakistan. You think back to 2005, 2006, the eyes of this nation were wholeheartedly fixated on the Iraq war. You know, George W. George yeah. W. Bush was president, like the surge. That was the word. The surge, like, should we send more troops to Iraq in a war that's already failing? And then the weapons of mass destruction debate was raging. So yeah, I guess that was still going on then, right? That yeah. was that was where the focus was. So Afghanistan, so you were just Afghanistan, everyone, out, boys. and we were getting no intelligence from the front line. Nothing. And that was probably, in terms of combat, more brutal. Afghanistan? Not even close, right? Well, I mean, it was. I would. I don't know that I would say that because all combat's pretty shitty. Um, it was just different. It was a different type of combat. Yeah. So, like when you're doing Iraq, you know, there's military the operations urban in urban terrain. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is, that is absolutely the worst shit you will ever do. Yeah. Because, because, first of all, you go into it just with military doc, uh, doctrine, expecting to take something like fifty to sixty percent casualties when you're operating in an urban environment, because. You have civilians, you have buildings, you've got guys kicking in doors, clearing rooms, anchoring, kicking in another door, clearing rooms, and that's just exhausting. Well, and our techniques, you know, from my understanding from my friends in the military, like, we weren't used to fighting that kind of war, right? It was, it, uh, it know, was a different kind you, you had a, you know, a breaching system where you ran into the door, but the IED took out the first person in, and we, we, it took a while to adapt to the realities of what was going on versus sort of what the textbook procedure would have been, right? It was a different thing in Iraq, right? Yeah. You know, a different, we learned a lot on the go. You know, we refined what we call our TTPs, our tactics, techniques, techniques and procedures. Um, I was never in Iraq, though. I was in Afghanistan, and my brigade specialized in Afghanistan, meaning like the 3rd Brigade Combat Team and the 10th Mountain Division, the Spartans, we just rotated in and out of Afghanistan. And so Afghanistan really, first of all, we weren't getting intelligence from the front line. We didn't know we were getting ourselves into. We thought that Afghanistan was just a stability and support operation. And we realized very quickly that that was not the case because... Mm -hmm. The Taliban did ret retreat. Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, the Akhani Network, Hakmadiyar, they did retreat to Pakistan. But they consolidated, reorganized, and came back 2005, and they were ready to fight us. They did some fighting in 2005, and they, but they were ready to fight us in 2006 when we got back there. 
you talk about the different styles of combat. Let me address that for a second. Afghanistan was like an infantryman's dream. And what I mean by that is, like, you never want to find yourself in a fair fight with the enemy. The right. only thing that you want to do is kick boots on the objective. If you're so, in a fair fight, your tactics yes, suck, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so in Afghanistan, we were able to leverage the full military might of the military. Like, when, where we were fighting in... When, it, when we were fighting in eastern Afghanistan, we were in the mountains. It was like no man's land. There was, there was very, very little collateral damage. We did a lot. We spent a lot of time and energy relocating people so that we didn't have to worry about hurting civilians when we were there. And then it just yeah. became about like direct fire engagements, using mortars, using artillery, using air power effectively, both rotary wing and fixed wing, or rotary wing and fixed wing. And, you know, combat sucks. It's horrible. But if, if you have to go through it and... That's the best way to do it. Interesting. When you can leverage, well, you know, yeah. like when you're getting, when you're, when you know that you're riding into a kill zone, like you spend enough time in an area of operation, you know that the enemy starts to ambush you from certain places. Yeah. So the good leaders look at those places and they plot what's called target reference points. So when you're calling for fire artillery, you're not calling in an eight-digit grid. You're not calling in like, oh, we're at Whiskey Send Bravo, it. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and I want you to fire Whiskey Bravo, one. No, it's like, hey, Send fire it. TRP-1, you yeah. know? And so w when you do that, you know you're going into an ambush zone. You can actually time your assault on an objective with your trucks. Okay, we're going to start our movement now. Right before we get to phase line alpha, you know, fire target reference point one. Okay, fire, fire TRP two and three and so on. So that by the time you hit the objective, you just had an artillery rocket, you know? Mm. And you can hit the objective, and if, if you're lucky, the enemy is either dead or severely injured and you can hit them with some level of surprise. So, and then, and then we were able to use rotary wing, we were able to use fixed wing a lot. And so, so what's some of the craziest stories from Afghanistan? Both, uh, you know, maybe both vicious and, and funny. Because I mean, I, yeah, I've heard some interesting <laughs> sort of funny stories from friends. Probably yeah. you. I'm just trying to remember which well, ones there are. But I think there's some amazing ones that, you know, I think people would find interesting. Well, we went through. I mean, God, where do you? How much time do you have in this podcast? You want to tell war stories? But I mean, the, the one is, uh, if you talk about the day that I was wounded. Um, I call it like my alive day. We were perched on a, on a hill doing an, uh, what we call an observation post, an OP. I had 24 soldiers on the ground, five gun trucks. I had a, an interpreter with me. We had two 240 Bravo machine guns, a Mark 19 and 250 calibers. Um, we had our trucks in, in 360 degree security with my men perched in between the trucks behind cover and concealment. We set in at night, did everything right. Sun came up. Um, I used my Ford Observer, called for fire on, on places that I thought the bad guys would be. Um, we, back then we called them harassment and interdiction fires, OH&I fires. I mean, we don't do that anymore, but harassment and interdiction fires. So if the enemy's there, we want to let them know that we know they're there and we're just going to shoot those hilltops to, sh to show them. Yeah. And so we, we, we did that that morning. I hit this place where it was a cave site where the enemy was moving rockets from Pakistan through this cave into Afghanistan. So we hit this cave with some 105s. And when we did that, man, we just got, it was like hitting a hornet's nest with a baseball bat. And we just started getting pounded. I mean, um, all I remember probably about 30 seconds after hitting that cave site was waking up in a smoldering hole probably 20 feet from where I was. And I remember the first thing that I, I remember when I came to was like a burning piece of shrapnel on my leg about this big. And I, I was, I, Don, I was, I was so out of it that 
I mean, I was obviously I was knocked unconscious, and like, and I talked about this recently, but it's only this is only really the second time I've ever really talked about this. But I, I thought that I was going to die. I thought that I was dying, and I just I just remember I could have sworn I felt like God with me there. You know, it's yeah. Not, yeah, and I'm always afraid to talk about it, man, because you know there are going to be people out there that, that oh you're crazy, you know, no, listen, oh you're hey, a nut I, job. Honestly, I think that'd be comforting um, to a lot of people as well to, you know I just could have sworn I felt it yeah. you know and I could have sworn I, f I felt my grandfather who is like my grandfather is like a second father figure to me he died the day before I was supposed to go to Afghanistan right. so like St. Christopher Meadow he wore one given right. to him like in Christmas of 1945 wore it every day never took it off right. I was wearing it in Afghanistan when I got hurt and I could have sworn I heard him just saying get up get up wake up and I remember things came back to me real slowly that day. It was like somebody was, you know, turning the, the sound up on a TV with, that was just static, you know. And one of my squad leaders, or one of my team leaders, rather, was sitting on my chest, like, slapping me in the face. And he had this big smile on him. And I'm like, like, what was wrong with you, dude? And he just, he's, he's like, he's like, sir. I'm like, what? He's like, you got blown the fuck up. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, what? And so, um... He grabs me by my chest and pulls me up, and I'm sitting there on the ground with my legs splayed out in front of me like a two-year-old or something on yeah. Christmas morning, and I'm looking around at just the devastation that was being wrought in our position, and we were getting hit by airburst mortars, so mortars that blow up in the yeah. sky and the shrapnel rains down on you. I think two of my trucks were immediately knocked out of commission, and as we later looked and analyzed this attack, all of my key leaders were knocked out of that fight within the first minute of the engagement. Wow. And, and myself included. Um, you know, I had my platoon sergeant who was behind a huge tree. And some of these trees just in Afghanistan feel like they're just like untouched by humans. They're almost like prehistoric, like yeah. huge. Platoon sergeant's laying, cover, like behind, laying in the prone behind one of those things, just pointing to his back, screaming to me that, that he got hit. And his back was like covered in blood. And he got hit with a piece of shrapnel back there. And my platoon sergeant, a guy by the name of Greg Greeson, you know, I was a second lieutenant. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was lucky to have guys like my sergeants and even my soldiers who taught, coached, and mentored me every step of the way. The fact is, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those guys teaching me everything I know. But so my platoon sergeant was like my partner in crime. Like, he taught me everything. And he was the voice. He just, you know, he was my go-to guy. And yeah. he was already hurt. And so I knew it was real serious. And so I remember standing up and as I stood up I had this clear fluid leak out of my ears and my nose just gushed out and I remember doing this and looking at it and I was like well it's not blood I'm good to go I'm still in the fight ran back to my truck and I started calling fire on those target reference points that we talked about and I started calling fire on danger close on on our position um, I don't know if you know what that means yeah. but danger close means that the rounds are going to be exploding around you and that your guys on the hilltop should take cover and as I'm trying to surveil the battlefield and try to keep my head down because mortars are still raining down all around us. And I remember like looking at my hand when I was laying on the ground, Don, the level of fire was so intense. I mean, I'm looking at my hand as laying on the ground just like this, right? And I'm watching bullets land between my fingers, kick up dirt, land between my fingers. And later that day, I would look at my uniform. I had bullet holes in my pants of my uniform. Just, I mean, it was just... it was just Like an act of God that you weren't... I, I mean, this is when I learned yeah. like, the whole philosophy of, like, small bullet, big sky. Like, it's really freaking hard to hit something. It, it really is, like, even yeah. with machine guns. And so... And, and, and the importance of good cover and concealment. But I just... 
So I'm, I'm looking out at everything. Got a couple of trucks that are already out. So immediately, as a, as a leader, I'm thinking I'm not just going to be able to leave this hilltop. We don't, we can't leave our equipment out here because we got top secret radios out here with our comsec. Comsec is basically like all the frequencies that we use to talk. Can't leave that out here for the enemy. So I'm stuck here on this hilltop with 24 guys, and I'm looking at those two hilltops. Do I get? I'm on a hilltop, but I got two hilltops directly east of us, like just right on the Duran line, um, which is right on the border of Pakistan. And on both of those hilltops, so we're getting pounded with airburst mortars, but on both of those hilltops, directly east of us, you had three machine gun nests, like each on each hilltop. And they had us in a wicked crossfire, and they're hitting us with plunging fire. So they were in an elevated position. They're actually arcing the round down on top of us. So that, like, really if you're. Spot, yeah, so if, yeah, even yeah. if you're in what you call a ranger grave or a hasty fighting position, you're laying in the prone and bullets are landing on you, you know? Um, so what I was thinking, I was watching them fire, Don, and it was like they weren't just firing. They weren't just firing on, on cyclic. They were, they were talking the guns. Like one gun would fire and then stop. The next gun would fire and then stop. And, and the reason for that is because they didn't want to melt the barrels on their machine guns. And so I'm thinking, okay. And I'm on the phone calling for fire, calling for air support. But I'm also thinking like, okay, they hit us with airburst mortars to keep our heads down while they simultaneously emplaced two different support by fire positions. I'm it like, sounds much more sophisticated than, than, more. than everything you read about where it's like, oh, you know, you, you know what I mean? Yes, you, 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 know, yeah. you, you hear about catching these guys, you know, the, with farm animals and stuff like that. You're I like, know. oh, it's gotta be, but like, this sounds like a really, I'm sure you have some of those stories too, but. Yes, I, I can tell, I'll, I'll tell you one after this, but, but you're absolutely right. These yeah. weren't farmers with pitchforks. This wasn't a ragtag insurgency. These were hardened Afghan fighters that fought against the Russian in, Russians yeah. in the 80s and the Afghan civil war in the 90s. Now their against, whole life has Yes, been their war. whole life has been war. In fact, you know, your average Afghan fighter or foreign fighter has 10 years combat experience on your 18 year old American private. So, yeah. so I'm thinking to myself, okay, hit us with um, indirect fire. They simultaneously place two support by fires. They're attacking just like us. What, what, what are they going to do mm -hmm. next? If, well, if I'm them, I attack. And like, no sooner did I think that the two platoon size elements, 40 man elements rushed down the hill, like by through those support by fire positions down their hilltop into the valley below and started bounding up towards us. So about 80, 80 enemy. Wow. And that was just about the time that, that, that the rounds started landing danger close. And I remember running out to where the contact is heaviest because I just believe that that's where a platoon leader is supposed to be. You know, mm -hmm. if you're leading men in combat, if you aren't where contact is heaviest, you're a fucking useless leader. Like you're a platoon leader, your job is to lead your troops and lead them boldly. And so I get out to where the contact is heaviest, the easternmost portion of our perimeter. Three of my soldiers had already been shot in the head out there, but every single one of them was still in the fight. And I'm looking up at a guy named Mike, Mike Emmerich, who was up in the turret, and he had had a bullet. He had taken a bullet to the head. Um, Kyle Lewis, it was his very first patrol ever. And he's out on patrol with his up and a gun. He gets shot in the head, falls down in the turret, stands back up, no helmet on his head, but gets right back on his gun. Um, you know, I, 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 you hear lots, lots of different you know, advice or philosophies when you're talking about mm -hmm. leadership in the army and you always hear that good leaders are supposed to inspire their troops. Well, that day I learned that great troops inspire their leaders. And that's yeah. sort of become a bedrock of my leadership philosophy moving forward is that leaders should draw the inspiration from those that they lead. It's yeah. all about service, right? Being a leader is about service. And so watching these rounds land danger close, they're, they're vaporizing these guys who, by the way, this isn't a human wave attack. 
they're bounding, right? Yeah. With squad level, squad level elements, team leaders and a squad leader yelling commands are bounding up the hill after us. Rounds are hitting danger close. I'm watching, uh, you know, five, two, three guys be vaporized by these artillery rounds that we're dropping and just, you know, two or three more running through the shot and the shell sprinting up the hill to our position. Nothing what we did nothing of what we had was stopping them. There were just so many of them. They were outnumbered 10 to 1. And I'm thinking, man, I want to give the command to fix bayonets. And then I realized that the Army didn't issue us bayonets for that deployment. So, you know. Oh, and yeah. so that was Jeez. outnumbered 10 to 1 on a hill in Afghanistan, 24 guys on the ground. I think the fight ended up being something like 10 hours before we got everything off of that hilltop. But it, w it was Apache helicopters with the call sign fullback that two Apache helicopters that came in and saved us, along with my company commander with a platoon, a, with a Delta platoon that was in the area, uh, responded as a quick reaction force on the hilltop, responded with augmented with ANA, two Apache helicopters. And then, and when you talk about bringing the full might of the U.S. military to yeah. bear, we brought in a B-1 strategic lancer that dropped like 12 2,000-pound JDAMs on the Cape site. And then and only then did we get them to break contact. So yeah. that, that, like... 485 days of stuff like that. <laughs> of stuff yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, minor details. And the, uh, by the way, by the way, the first, as a young platoon leader, as a young infantry guy, yeah. like... But you're you a terrible American, Sean, yeah, according yeah, to well, the radicals in the mainstream press. Well, well, I, I'll say this. I did want to test myself, like, see what combat was like, and we got in our first firefight, and we did all right, you know? Uh, my men were amazing. I um, mean, I say men because we only had men back in the infantry back then. Like, now, you know, it was... It, all right, well, that's no, got to no. be where we go next, right? Like, <laughs> okay. no, no, no. Talk about woke military. Okay. You know, I, you, you get, I mean, I, I love seeing a leader. You know, it seems sort of opposite from what I see today. And again, I didn't, sir, I can't, you know, whatever. But, you know, I see a guy like Millie. Like, I want to learn about white rage. You know, he's got medals <laughs> from here. Never won a war. Not sure he's even seen combat. But, like, he's got, you know, then you see Eisenhower. Like, one little pin. Like, one World War II. Minor <laughs> you know, it, it's so, like, insane uh, watching this, but you see a general, I, I use the example on the stump speech all the time, you know, when the Afghan withdrawal, I want, I want to hear your thoughts on that, because to me, that was like a low point in American history, and I didn't shed blood or lose friends there like you did, right? Uh, but I saw that, and then I see him testify before Congress. I want to learn about white rage. <laughs> really? We, you couldn't have seen, he, and he quote, I could not have seen it come, meaning, I know nothing, let's just assume I know jack shit about Afghanistan. Like, I saw it coming. Like, we, we leave them $86 billion worth of equipment. The Russians are now buying it to you against us in Ukraine. They couldn't have seen it coming, but he's worried about white rage not actually winning the war. I, you know, what do you, what do you some, see with woke military? Like, what would you tell your son as a patriotic American about, you know, joining the military, knowing that, like, if he's, like, a red-blooded, straight white guy, like, he may not have it. No, he may have no chance. Like, if you want to be, like, a, an admiral, go be trans. Like, you'll get it in two weeks, it feels like. <laughs> Well, what I would, but, but I'm, like, I'm, I'm saying it kind I, of funny, but like, I'm also not. Like, there's, there's a kernel there's, of truth. There's, there's, there's truth in it. Right? Yeah, there is, of course. And, and I, after Afghanistan, I watched Blinken get up there. We are shocked and dismayed. I think this is almost verbatim. We are shocked and dismayed that the Taliban did not install a more diverse and inclusive government. Like, <laughs> the fuck have you been watching? Like, yeah, I, all I of a sudden, the Taliban I, are third wave, third like, generation feminists. Yeah, like I can't, like I can't take these people seriously. Like, you're gonna I be the, the Secretary of State of the United States, and that's a serious <laughs> question. Like, what do you think there was gonna be like a trans coalition? They were gonna bring in <laughs> Leah Thomas. To, like, what the fuck did you think was gonna happen? Like, 
you, how do you take these people seriously? And, and again, you lost friends there. Yeah. You you yeah. could have lost your own life there. And you're watching these clowns, like, say this with a straight face. Like, It was very difficult to watch the fall of Afghanistan. It was very difficult. And the reason for that is, is and this has shaped my view on foreign policy, and, and we can talk about, you know, People talking about the war in Ukraine, how we should and how we should support that. And I, I and I and by the way, I understand the idea of peace through strength, and, and yeah. that the idea that if there are republics in the world hey, and Trump more freedom, believed, Trump believed yes, in that. Yes, he did. But he wasn't yeah. a warmonger because he wasn't worried about getting on the board of Raytheon. The way yeah. to do that is to sell a lot of missiles to make sure you have the connections to keep these things going. And you know, I, I think that's why you have woke generals now. Like, the American public actually doesn't want to be in never-ending wars anymore either. Both sides. It's actually like I, a bipartisan issue. So that's exactly right. Rather than, you know, their exit for the generals isn't like, you know, a board seat at Raytheon. Now it's a board seat at Disney. Yeah. The way to do that is by Look, we have, we have, giving Disney what they want, which is woke bullshit. We have a senior leadership problem in the military. Full stop. And in fact, when Millie was talking about right, white rage, I think, I mean, I was in the thick of running for Senate at that point, but I think that there's a tweet out there from me prior to the collapse of Afghanistan. I was, I think I said something like, maybe you should stop focusing on white rage and start focusing on withdrawal responsibly from Afghanistan. Two months later, Afghanistan completely collapsed. And by the way, the intel was completely wrong. Um, we thought that the Afghan National Army could stand on it. Well, this I, I knew. But you I knew, knew they could. No, right? I, mean, I did. Yeah. You've been, and I know guys on on both sides. I have you know other friends that served over there that you know have gone to great length. You know, they had an interpreter or someone that they they fought to get in there because these. But you've seen the opposite. But so so you, look, you had are, a story where there are Kandaks, what they call battalions that can stand on their own, that are courageous, that are elite fighters. They're great. You want them by your side in the trenches. But Don, you don't have, like, you don't have an army unless you can pay them, water them, feed them, sustain them, supply chains. Afghanistan is so corrupt, I knew in my heart of hearts that they, they would never have that yeah. because most of the aid that we were giving them was going to their, you know, their cousins, their brothers, their uncles, corrupt warlords who were in charge yeah. of large geographic swaths of Afghanistan. And Afghanistan is largely tribal, so it's it, it very, very corrupt. But I knew it was, I knew that Af an, an Afghan collapse was imminent. And, um, have well, by the way, again, I knew nothing about it, and I knew it was imminent. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it was I, just comments, you know, we, then we give them, let's give the Taliban the biometric scanners so that they can find anyone who's been helping us in a war <laughs> against know. them for 20 years. Like, they're going to do the right thing because I they're know. good human beings. Remember, like, they're going to, they're, they were supposed to install a diverse and inclusive government, despite <laughs> the fact that they were throwing homosexuals off buildings for the last few decades. I know. They would put journalists in cages and douse them in gasoline and light them on fire. Like, and we're going to leave them $86 billion in U.S. equipment. How much of that equipment will be used to oppress good All people in Afghanistan? All Murder, maim, pillage for, for generations to All come. It's not like us where it's like, oh, well, we used the truck for two weeks. Let's just leave it to someone else. You know, they'll get 30 years out of a, a, a truck that we've used for two years. And look, the, the, when I say we have a general problem, we do. We have, like, there's something about when you pin those stars on your shoulders, you are less of a military leader in this day and age and more of a politician. So what, what, what made that happen? Well, I think that there was a shift in focus in, in our military. Um, you know, if you look at World War II, we have the same amount of generals today in our army that we did in World War II, and our army in World War II was far bigger. 
So I think we have, to a certain extent, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And by the way, there are some really great generals in the Army, too. But the problem is, is that you have a lot, like we talk about Millie, yeah. when you're focused on things like white rage, you're not oh, I had never even heard about white rage before. I, like, I heard, I was like, that's weird. I'm watching congressional testimony, and it's like a made-up phrase to satisfy woke those are not, here's the thing, in combat, yeah. people's lives are on the line. Yeah. And you're I don't on, care you're, if the guy is black, blue, green, purple, like, I just want the best fighter and, on my, in my foxhole. Yeah, and, like, and that seems that, pretty logical. Like, yeah, absolutely right. And then, like, when you're focused on things like white rage, and people, people will say, oh, well, the milita military can do two things at once. No, stop. You still have men and women in the field. The men and women that serve this country are, are America's most precious resource. Yep. And you have them out there front towards enemy while you're on Capitol Hill talking about some liberal bullshit. Yep. Two months later, an entire country collapses. And oh, by the way, we've been there for 20 years. We've spent billions and billions and billions of dollars in Afghanistan, like blood, sweat, and tears in Afghanistan. I've lost probably 30 of my friends since I came into the military. 30 of them. You know? And and all of that, and, and people ask me all the time, well, was it wasted? It's like, and... and I think it was, and here's yeah. here's why, and, and Don. It like, terrible, but when you look at, no, and, like, and like it, that's not to the soldiers, Don. Like yeah, the soldiers, no, no. like my men and, and the men and women who served in Iraq and Afghanistan were amazing. Yeah. Like we built schools, we built wells, we did humanitarian uh, distributions. There are little girls that are reading in Afghanistan today because we taught them how to read. Boys and girls working in the economy of Afghanistan, never having had that opportunity before. Yeah, those so, girls, by the way, yeah, they're not allowed to even get a basic they, they education They can't be educated anymore. anymore. We let the Taliban. So, yes. So like, uh, uh, like, so when I say, was it what? No, we did so many great things, but our leadership in Washington broke it. And, and, and by the way, Republicans and Democrats. Oh, yeah, I, and so this is why. Equal opportunity. This yeah. is, so this is why I say, like, if you're going to send America's sons and daughters into the fight and you're a senior military leader, you have a moral obligation to win with a clear-cut mission and a clear-cut end state. Like, here's the mission. Here's what success and victory look like. And, and when that's done, we're done. Yeah. And, and here's the problem. And this is why I have real issues with Ukraine. You know, never mind the fact that there's a weird incestuous relationship between Biden and fire the prosecutor and a billion dollars yeah, and oh yeah, Hunter in Ukraine. If it was Don Jr., right. it'd be a problem with this. It's, we're, it's, not even, we're not even questioning whether we are spending hundreds of billions of dollars because we don't know what they have. It seems I, like a reasonable I, question. We don't know what they have on us. Are, is that blackmail? And God knows there seems like there's a lot of it, right? And yeah. Imagine well, what Hunter didn't put on the laptop, right? Like... <laughs> yeah. That, no, but think about I it. Know. Like, You're do right. we really not think that there's a there's a solid chance that one like name a foreign nation that probably doesn't have a Hunter laptop? This guy has more laptops than any human being well, in I the mean, world, and they end up everywhere. It's right? very clear that Hunter and the Biden family are, are compromised. They are. Yeah. Like the media is not reporting on it, but they are. You can't do the things that Hunter Biden was doing, ten percent to the big guy, and have that family not be compromised. In fact, like they shouldn't even have top secret government security clearances. They, they yeah. should not. But here, here's the thing about Ukraine and what I was talking about. There are conservatives out there and neocons out there, and of which I am not one. Now, that I am not, I am willing, if our freedom in this country was ever threatened, I'd be the first one in line to defend it. Well, you've it. proven so that. Most of I'm, them I'm have not, I, I'm not, yeah. what I'm saying, Don, is that we just came off of 20 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are already people in Washington trying to send us back into the fight. Like, my kids now, 
will be a yeah. part of that. Go, in, go into Ukraine where the stakes are much higher, where you've got nuclear weapons, the geopolitical situation is far more complicated. We probably still have Americans trapped in Afghanistan, and we're already trying to start a new war. Well, we, did, we, we left them. I mean, it, it seems to me like the basic tenet, we're like, no, leave no man behind, but we left our civilians. We left. We pulled out our military, left the equipment, left our civilians, left the enemy's biometric scanners to make sure they could root out all, like, I'm saying, so, who, or, like, my five-year-old could have done a greater job, you know, at the time, you know, pulling us out of Afghanistan than the people who are supposed to be the generals in charge. So listen, like you have Reagan era, and by the way, Ronald Reagan was an amazing president. Foreign policy at the time was incredible. Like the Reagan era peace through strength doctrine, yeah. right? And the idea that the promulgation of democracies all over the world will make the world a safer and freer place, place is true. It, it, it is true. Yeah. But what comes part and parcel with that is trust in government. Right. Trust in our leaders, trust in a system that are going to do right by the American people. And we've had Republicans and Democrats, yeah. by the way, 20 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. We haven't even done a battlefield assessment, a, a proper battlefield assessment of what went wrong there, because, frankly, there hasn't been enough time that's gone by. Yeah. Right. We have. Let's just get in another. Yeah, one. So let's get in another one before we learn the lessons of the past. No, by the way, every American that's watching this, that, that like. Are you willing? Are you willing to sacrifice your son or daughter fighting for Ukraine? It, because yeah, by the way, a, a regime that, by any standard, is just as corrupt. In some cases, no doubt, rated more corrupt than Russia itself. I'm not saying Putin's an angel, but like, now, Putin, you know, Putin we're creating a, a billionaire oligarch class who's taking care of it. No, I get understand that a lot of this is a kickback to big war. Right, big war watched big pharma get rich over the last two years. They're saying, bitches, it's my turn again. I want to get back at the trough. But like. Putin it's is insane, and the guy that was supposed to start World War III, Donald Trump, is the uh, only person that's been the voice of reason in all of this, ending the, the man, big wars. Go, the man struck, go. he had peace in the Middle East, and uh, I never thought I'd ever see that in my lifetime. Yeah, that was the holy grail of geopolitical, you know, like, accomplishment, and no one could ever do it. And Trump, the guy that was going to start World War III, according to all of these people, was the only guy actually that got peace deals done. Only guy advocating to end the never-ending wars. Only guy, frankly, right now, in and on the Republican side even, too, being like, hey, uh... Like, what's the end game in He's Ukraine? pursuing like, peace. Peace is the responsibility of anyone with enormous power. But he's also the only society. one. They weren't floating balloons over, despite what, you know, despite what they said. They oh, tried they that story last week. Oh, there were multiple balloons under Trump. Really, where? All of a I, sudden, that disappeared really quickly once you called them out. But you also didn't have Russia invading their neighbors. They did under Bush. They did under Obama. They're doing it again under Biden. They didn't do it under Trump because they understood resolve and strength. That's Being right. able to build back the military so you would be capable of actually fighting a war, which I think would be very questionable right now. Yeah. Right? I mean, especially when you look at the threat of China. We're, we're no spending question. resources look, and missiles and depleting our, our look stockpiles. At what we just, look at what just came out about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Yeah. It looks, well, that's an act of war, by the way. It looks like... With a nuclear power. With a nuclear power. And, and so we basically destroyed a pipeline that supplied natural gas to all almost all of Europe, right? So by destroying that pipeline, a byproduct of that would be hurting the European people in those countries that are now struggling and paying more for gas. We did that. Well, and, and but it, but no it gets more complicated than that even, though, because the problem we have is that we allowed Europe to become dependent on Russia oil. We sat there and said, okay, Germany, oh, you want Russia oil? Okay. And then they say, okay, well, NATO, we need you to kick in billions more to protect us from Russia, who they're enriching by using their natural gas rather than getting it from us. 
rather than drilling for it themselves. Like, we're sitting there being like, okay, so we're going to spend more money protecting you from the guys that you guys are getting rich, in that case, Angela Merkel. Like, it, look, it's insane it is, it that is. we're even having these conversations. And Trump was the only guy to be like, he was this the is o- bullshit. Trump, Trump was the only one, the only leader that we've had in my lifetime that pursued peace. And, and for all the bullshit that the media talked about, he's going to start World War III. Well, the fact is, like, we're closer to World War III. I mean, I, I hate to use that hyperbole because it's almost cliche, well, no, but, but, but it's me, true. The Biden administration said it. It's exactly they, right. We have not been this close to nuclear That's war exactly right. since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the, like, and the fact, here's the and thing. And everyone's that, like, ah, oh, it's fine. Let's go. Let's keep giving money to Ukraine. I'm sure Zelensky's a wonderful, you know, oh, he's not corrupt at all, listen, right? Despite like, what everything happened, we know. What happened with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was concerning for a lot of different reasons, some of which I just talked about, but not the least of which is that it doesn't seem like at this point, and we don't know for sure yet, but we're pretty damn close. Like Congress, both Democrats or Republicans, were not briefed on the covert action. They're the representatives of the people. Well, if the reporting is correct, it seems like they did everything in a way to avoid ever having to bring it to Congress, even though had they done, you know, move this widget there, all of a sudden that would have merited it. So and you, know, then, you do that with a nuclear power who's sitting on a 6,000 nuclear warhead arsenal. You've backed a dictatorial strongman into a corner. I think I'd, I'd say the Russian performance in Ukraine, while devastating in many respects, was also one of the great underperforms of modern military history, meaning I think everyone in the world was like, oh, that'll, that'll be over in two weeks. The Ukrainians, and now we're here a year later. The Ukrainians have put up a good fight. They now were we're, great, yeah. They're using, we're in a proxy war. I mean, they've used our equipment. We're basically at war with Russia, whether we're mm-hmm. going to pretend to you know, or not. Um, you know, this is like, where does it end? That's, you know, that's when, the when does Russia say, you know what, fuck this, like, we, we're actually fighting the U.S., let's do something about it? Russia is not. Or Europe. Russia, I will, I, I will tell you that Russia is not going to break contact in Ukraine. And yeah. what it's looking like, it's if there's not. because of the personalities, right? It's different than the U.S., where, you know, everyone's a participant. Like, I grew up in Eastern Europe. Like, I understand that sort of, like, there's a strong, tough guy mentality. They, they wouldn't do it just to save face. I mean. Like, it's a cultural thing as much as anything else. Like, Putin's not going to lose on a world stage to. like this without probably escalation. Dmitry Medvedev has literally said that, the former president who was basically the stooge they put in there while Putin had to take an obligatory couple of years off. Like Russia is not going to break contact. They're not. And yeah. so what it looks like, we're going to be in a 10, 15-year stalemate in Ukraine. And that's not an ideal situation. And frankly, nobody in the Biden administration. And, and not even anyone, very few people in the media are even asking questions about what peace looks like in Ukraine. What does a negotiated settlement look Correct. like? No one's even asking, not at one you know single what? question. Because as long as there's this much money floating around, it, like, it's going to continue. Like, you know how to get peace talks going? Hey, there's a finite, we're, we're cutting this off at XYZ point in time. Mm-hmm. Literally, otherwise, they're going to, hey, we're using American missiles, we're going to send this away. They haven't. Like, there's going to be nothing left. It's, it's The loss of life is disgusting. and sh- But, like, until we say, like, hey, the, the blank check ends at a certain point, you better get to the table, it's like we're not even trying. It's like, oh, well, you know, every, everyone's making some money along the way, and big wars, you know, we haven't been in a war in, like, you know, nine months, so, like, seems like a good time to start making some money selling missiles again. Uh, that's my opinion. That, you know, but it just seems, like, so obvious. And nobody in the media is asking questions about it. I think yeah. that during the White House press briefing today, nobody asked the White House press secretary about the Nord Stream 2 bombing, which is probably one of the most significant yeah. stories of our time. And it's also the most plausible, oh, right? I, I yes. remember when that happened, I go, oh, of course, like, 
I sort of, I mean, I didn't know evidence, right? But I was like, of course we did that. Like, they were like, well, maybe the Russians did it. I was like, the Russians blew up their billion dollar pipeline that was going to be like a leverage point that gave them the money to fuel. Like, I don't understand. Maybe if you told me the Ukrainians did it, I'd say fine. But like, I don't know that they have the sophistication to do they that. They don't right? have the sophistication so to do I'm that. I'm sitting there being like, and, and we're like, oh yeah, the Russians did it to themselves. You like, read Seymour uh, Hersh's report. It's has detail. It's unbelievably rigorous and detailed. Like, I, yeah. It's like, and it's, it, it, yeah, it it's like Wuhan lab leak. Uh, of course it came from the Wuhan lab leak. Like, yeah. No, 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 bullshit. It came from three feet outside of the lab. It where came somebody, from a bat in a Somebody suit. ate a bat sandwich outside of the lab. It, it clearly didn't come from the lab that studies the fucking virus. The, the coronavirus, yeah. And we've been funding with game of function research for like years. It, it, didn't, it came from right outside. And if you were a doctor and said, but wait, but this is like, you know, Ackman's razor, right? Like, this is obviously where, like, you know, the most plausible answer is probably the answer. There's a coronavirus no, no, no. You'd lose your tenure. There. You'd lose. That clearly didn't come from that. Like, of course it's the most plausible. <laughs> but, like, we're, we're at a stage where we're incapable of even talking about the obvious. I agree. Which is I scary. agree. And it's scary. It's dangerous. And so that's why, you know, I, 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 look, freedom is worth fighting for. America's worth defending. Yeah. But we also have to be careful about the, yeah, the fights that we committed. Yes, absolutely. Like there, there's right, a way to yeah. fight and be intelligent. Like, you know, yes. I, I think China does that. You know, I don't love what they do. I think they're, they're terrible dictatorial regime, but like they're doing what's right for China and they're taking over the world while we, we're sitting there worried about, you know, the 9,476 genders. They're like <laughs> securing every cobalt mine in the world. They're, you know, I'm not saying they're doing it in good ways. I'm not, you know, I, I think they're, it's they're the most corrupt thing ever, but like they're doing what's good for them to secure their future and the notion that like, you know, putting America first is terrible. Sean, how could you possibly do that? You know, the, the globalist agenda, it's crazy. I know. I mean, we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on, on Ukraine, the lion's share of which we have no idea where it's going, while Americans struggle to put food on the table for their family. Yeah. Like, they can't afford groceries. Gas is through the roof. You know, you talk about kitchen table issues. There are a lot of kitchen table issues that Americans are struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis, yet this administration seems like they're focused on things that are just out of touch with the American people. Well, I mean, one of the things I, I see that being out of touch with the American people is sort of the, the crisis at the border and immigration. Uh, I remember, I think, you, I think it was Tucker, you, you told a story about sort of being just against sort of this unvetted yeah. you know, immigration uh, with some of the people that you did over in Afghanistan. Yeah, we like, had a, yeah. Tell, tell that story, because I think people have to understand, uh, you know, you read about it every day, and it's not just someone coming over, uh, like, there are terrorists being caught at our border, coming in through the open sieve that is our southern border right now. This, wow. It's not just, you know, you know, not everyone there is a true, you know, refugee looking for a better, like, there's a lot and of bad stuff going on And there. let's just say this, too. The United States of America is the most generous country on the not face of the close. planet. We let millions of legal immigrants into this country. There's not another country in this world that does that. So, yeah. like, right then and there, yeah. like... Any notion of, like, like America's terrible, like, it's, it's off it's, the it's table. ridiculous. Like, like let's break. just... Yeah. We, we're, we're an amazing country. People would die to come here. Yeah. And... But we do have to secure our southern border. And, and like, you look, you talk about the people that are coming across the border. Uh, specifically, we talk about Afghan refugees. Refugees. And, I, and I, I do use that term loosely because not all of them are refugees, especially when you're in the midst of an asymmetric fight and there is zero record keeping in Afghanistan. Right. Like, you talk to a, an Afghan, like, out in Paktika province and ask them how old they are, they often don't know when their birthday is.
Yeah. Because they don't, you want to go back to a time where Jesus Christ walked the earth, add the AK-47 and the Hilux pickup truck, and you've got Afghanistan. There's no economy, at least where I, there's 90% of Afghanistan, no paved roads, no running water, no electricity. They cut down wood in the summer, and they burn that wood in the winter to stay warm. They've got a bazaar where they do trading, but that's it. Yeah. And so it's impossible. It is, it's physically impossible to vet those people when they're coming over in large swath, either from Afghanistan or across our southern border. Well, so you had, you had a particular story, I guess, with an Afghan interpreter mm -hmm. sort of turned Yeah, on. so we had an interpreter. This is one of the ones who was vetted, but as is typically the case in Afghanistan, uh, a lot of the loyalties uh, there shift with the desert sand or largely based on money. They can be bought. As yeah. the tide shifts, it's like, oh, well, those guys are yes. going to be in charge. We're going to do something, throw them a solid. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of our interpreters. We should, yeah. you know, we, I had no, great, I have a lot of guys that feel great about that. interpreters I that. that I had great interpreters in Afghanistan. When the fall of Afghanistan happened, we worked overtime and put the Senate campaign on pause to work our asses off to get them I remember out. you speaking to me about that. Um, you know, but these are guys that we knew and we vetted. And when we were in Afghanistan, like these guys, we vetted them to a certain extent, but we had a guy uh, turn in our platoon, ended up working as a sleeper inside of our unit and was tracking our our movements and I was home on leave and he brought he, he coordinated with a Pakistani IED cell and they put a plastic TC6 Italian anti-tank mine uh, right over where my command truck typically sits on observation posts and the places that we go. My truck rolled over the mine, uh, instantly killed uh, Jeremiah Cole in the backseat of our truck who is my a Ford observer and is just an incredible human being, a newborn baby at the house, newly married. Uh, and wounded everybody else in the truck. I wasn't there. Uh, all of that was made possible from an interpreter who turned on us. And so I'm not saying that America sh shouldn't work hard to, s to save the people who are good for us. Yeah. I I'm just saying that in the most extreme form of flying tens of thousands of unvetted yeah. refugees into our country and releasing them onto the streets is not a good idea. And you see that playing out in New York City now, yeah. where, the, where, where, where you've got uh, the mayor of New York City, I can't remember his name now, I'm drawing a blank, where he's, Adam, he's yeah, he's handing out train tickets to Canada. So to elsewhere. Be, yeah, like, 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 we want them in there, but not here. Yeah, like, sanctuary right, right, cities right, right. everywhere this else, but not here. This is too much. I'm like, wait, so you, you expect others to take millions and you can't take a few? It's like, well, it's going to stress our area. And so all I'm saying is that you can't, like, the left's position or the mainstream, and even someone on the right are like, bring them here, bring them here, bring them here. It's like, wait a second. Let's yeah. take a step back. Let's have a plan. There wasn't one in place. And we're seeing some of the, some, some tragedies play out now uh, where we have Afghan refugees that are, are getting in trouble, getting arrested, assaulting people. I think some have even been arrested for murder. Yeah. Um, well, look at Europe. I mean, the rape statistics and all these things, and they're coming the from a very specific demographic, and you're not allowed to say that, and that's a terrible thing. I mean, I got, I got in shit, like in 16, I put out a... It was like a meme, basically a bowl of Skittles. Like, you know, if one of these would, were, were poisonous and you die eating it, like, would you, would you still chance it? I mean, it's one in a thousand. Like, but that's, I mean, like, if that's one in a thousand, it feels like, uh, you know, the left has plenty of things. Well, if it could save one life, it's like, well, but it, it could if we just and, and you know, go through a process. Right? Here's the thing that kills me. Like, the left like, conflates legal immigration with illegal immigration. To, to, to them, it's the same. There's a process by which we bring people yeah. to this country. Go through the process. My mother went through that process. Yes. You know, that's, it's, they're like, oh, you're anti-immigrant. I'm like, my, I don't know, my mom's an immigrant. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? My, my you know, my <laughs> grandmother's an immigrant. Uh, my, my dad's current wife's an immigrant. Like, it's, I know. Uh, you know, it's not like, it, it's just common sense, but 
common sense not so common anymore. It's not so common, especially inside the Beltway on Capitol Hill. So tell me about your new podcast. Oh, yeah. So I've got this hey. new podcast. We've got nine episodes out. You guys got to check this out. <laughs> yeah, so it's a podcast called Battleground. And, I mean, we just have, we've had some incredible guests on. We had Pete Hegseth, Lisa Booth, Joe Kent, Amber Smith. Um, I mean, probably a lot more coming. We have Nick Palmashano. We got to get you on the podcast too. Uh, but it's but it's awesome. So you know, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Like, we'd love to have you. And we just basically and you're on Rumble, right? Also. Yeah, we just started a Rumble yeah. channel too. Like, like, listen, it, in all fairness, uh, after they watch this, they're going to probably throw you off YouTube. So <laughs> just, well, just you know, pro tip. I know. I pro know. tip. I don't know that I can put all my eggs in that basket. I know you're right. Like, you're right. You're, you're, just, you're, you're like a straight white male. Like you're probably <laughs> screwed. Like I'm you're sorry. Right. Yeah. So yes. I just I did start a Rumble channel and right. go subscribe to the Rumble channel too. Yeah. Um, but we, look, we have super interesting, great people on. Le we talk about life, leadership, overcoming adversity. You know, in a soundbite culture, you know, you don't get to learn a whole lot about the people that you see on your TV yeah. every day. And so on, on well, my podcast, we talk about that stuff. Yeah, and that's what's interesting. I mean, I think we had this conversation sort of earlier. Like we've known each other a long time, but we're like we're so used to being the interviewee. Yes. We're also so used to being like, you have four minutes to make 97 <laughs> points. Like, get it done. And they're like, Don, you talk so fast. Well, you're very good at it. I got to crank that shit. I'm from New York first and foremost, but I got to get it all in there. So it's, it's cool to have this format. It, it takes some getting used to actually trying not to be the guy that's always talking because I'm so, you know, I've spent years of just being the guy that's answering a question. I'll talk forever. Uh, you know, so it's a cool format. But I think, I think the long form thing is actually really interesting. It's I awesome. think, I hope the viewers find it that way because they get, you can, sort of learn a lot more about what's really going on. And, you know, you're so used to, you know, you got four minutes on Hannity and you got to pitch yeah. it. It's like, ah. And, you know, if, if we're going to change this country, there are ways in which we can organize, like the left does, 24 hours a day, yeah. seven days a week, together. And we do it, we can, one of those ways you do that is podcasting. And so I started this podcast. It's been, a, we've only been doing it for a month, but it's been a pretty amazing I'm, journey. I'm going to do it myself. Like, it's fun. Know? It's It's fun. I think it's important. I think the industry of podcasting is in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's great. Help, help me out. Subscribe to it. That'd be great. Yeah, it's Battleground with Sean Parnell. And yeah, you're right. I think it's interesting also that even the mainstream media and even conservative mainstream media, like you can see their agenda. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, like I used to be on all the time and then they were like, well, we don't really like that. We're going to go a different, like you don't even get asked anymore. And I it's know. like, wait a minute. Like, I, I don't know. I think I have a pretty big voice. And you can see that's their sort of hand, no different than politics, trying to control. They want the power back. They want you know, a candidate that they really own well, because they need them to actually do it. That's why Trump's a threat. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't exactly. need the airtime. He sort of has his ability to get it. And so you know, even watching that dynamic, even amongst the conservative side of things, you realize, you know, like, I feel like we're doing this for like the right reasons, like we believe in it. Like I, I didn't need this shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I had a pretty good life. My, my, you don't, like, my you dad don't. definitely didn't need this shit. Yeah, but it's like, well, now I'm in the fight. And now you're now, in it. Now we're not going to stop. You know what's now interesting? I see what we're up against. And you know what's interesting though, Don? Like you think about like some of the people on the left are some of the most unqualified individuals ever. The only thing that they're qualified to do is like bloviate and talk about politics. But rarely have they ever done anything. Yeah. If you're a leftist, like you could, you're, you'd be a, a, like a White House press secretary or something, which, by the way, is a, a, an accomplished position. Like it's an important. Yeah, position. but not not but if you, you get it because that. you're the first ex, you know, checkbox, you know, lesbian, <laughs> whatever it may be. They, like, and it's like, well, that qualifies you. It's like I got shit last two two weeks ago. Another Buttigieg one where. 
You know, we're going through like the fifth transportation crisis. You know, this is yeah, the most the qualified. Word. Well, what made him qualified? Basically, what That's right. my opinion was, he was most qualified because he was gay. And no, he was a presidential exactly candidate. But right. He would have never been qualified to be a president. He was a consultant and a mayor of a shitty town in Indiana. Yeah. Like that was small. Like he had no accomplishment. No one knew who he was. But like he was gay. So like no, obviously listen. you can be a presidential candidate. You don't have to do anything. Like listen, it's, listen. You're exactly like yes. This is exactly what I'm talking about. How. It seems like the whole of our country, like if you're a Democrat, you could be the most unqualified person in the world, be, you know, work, work as a consultant in the White House and then go be on the board of, of Amazon. Uh, yeah, one of, you well, know, no, if you're a conservative, if you run for a political office, you lose everything. Yeah, well, I, I got attacked because I said, like, hey, man, like you can be smart on paper and academic doesn't mean you're qualified to do the job. Exactly. And someone went like, oh, my I God, remember. he's attacking people. Of course I am, because like, he oversaw a supply chain crisis that it was a disaster, right? Like we've never seen before. Then, in the midst of a supply chain crisis, he goes on paternity leave. I think that's wonderful. Unless 350 million Americans are depending on you to do your job, then maybe you say, maybe we should, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I'm fine. If you're a kindergarten teacher and you're dead, like, you know, hey, go on a paternity leave. I think it's wonderful. I don't, but like, if that many million Americans, you can't just be like, I'm just gonna check out. Then he over. He was on paternity leave yeah. for like six months. Well, yeah, you know, and I, you know, I understand, and you know, we're allowed to chest feed and all this shit today. But like, <laughs> you then oversaw the train crisis. Then you had, you know, what was either a, a cyber attack. They do, don't seem to know. But you know, our air traffic control systems were grounded for the first time since 9/11. <laughs> and like, where's Mayor Pete? We think we figured it out. Like, if it was a conservative in that position, <laughs> it would be he, nonstop. He, he'd be on trial. I it's know. Like, well, Mayor Pete, like, who knows? Maybe he was back on paternity leave. Maybe he, like, you, he, they're, they're beyond you, reproach. Do you remember? I remember, like, when he took over as transportation secretary, I remember seeing this video of him, like, driving up in the suburban close to yeah. the White House. Pull out and the then bike. the Secret Service pulls out the bike and he puts on some stupid yeah. helmet. They, and I like, got fact checked. They said it wasn't true, even though it was on video. But, a, but, so I don't know exactly what happened. But, like, but that's the point. What it was a all virtue signaling like, idiot. What is, is that guy doing in that job? Well, he's a Rhodes Scholar. Well, that's wonderful. Like, Elon Musk is an incredible rocket scientist. If, if I wanted to go to Mars, he's my guy. <laughs> I wouldn't let him perform brain surgery on me because they're not the same. I know. The, the intelligence doesn't equate to actually being able to do something. Like, we know plenty of people that are academically smart that don't do shit in the real world. The left is filled with, you know, well-educated, uh, well well-credentialed midwits. Yeah. You know? You know, so, so that was, uh, yeah, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> that's, I realize like we're way over time, but that was, yeah, that we're was fun. All the yeah, we're, we're gonna figure this shit out, folks. We, we got this. Tune back in. We're gonna do seven more hours with Sean Parnell uh, coming up in a minute. But now, listen, we're we're, we're gonna have to continue this conversation because it's. I think I, I hope it's refreshing for everyone else to uh, stay salty on Rumble. See, oh you know they, they, they're liking it. So uh, you know we'll, we'll have to do this again. But you know, guys. Go check out uh, Sean Parnell, his podcast, Battleground. I, now that we're competing in the podcasting uh, world, it, it's I okay. Know, I don't know about that. We're, 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 on, we're on the same team. Uh, we're on the same team. Uh, you know, a guy like you, it, it's just, it's an honor to be your friend. Uh, you know, Thanks, uh, I'm, I, I hate what happened because I think you'd be awesome in that role. But I think you're the kind of guy that's going to stay engaged. And whether you're in the Senate or whether you're in the House or what, like, you're going to do just as much fighting for our country as you have throughout your whole life. And I, I think it's just an honor to call you a friend. And Thanks, I want man. to thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Guys, I want to thank you uh, for watching. Again, go check out Sean. Go check out his books, uh, everything that he's done. It's an amazing story. Uh, just a true American patriot. I want to, again, thank uh, our sponsors of this show, Gold Co. Go check out DonJuniorGold.com. 
go check it out. You know, it, it's weird doing that, but like to actually be able to get out there, uh, it oh, sounds. You're just crazy, man. You're you're, <laughs> you're still, still laughing about the things that you were saying about about Buddha <laughs> Oh, and guess what? Tomorrow, like, they're going to try to cancel me, say that I'm being, like, I'm not, like, show me something that's factually inaccurate, you know, they, they, you know, but, no, but because he's a Democrat, he's beyond reproach, right? It was like Mueller. Well, Mueller was it? like, Mueller, like, you, you, Do you remember when they sang the song about Mueller? Yeah, they How were singing we don't song, talk about he's this the savior, And then you see him get up and testify, I'm like, holy shit, like, Joe Biden looks articulate compared to Robert Mueller, but, but because he was a former Marine, it was like, you know, they tried putting someone that you couldn't attack, but that's the problem. You know, just, you could be a Marine, it, it, plenty of these, doesn't mean you don't turn into a piece of garbage. I honor that service, I think that's wonderful, but it doesn't mean you're beyond reproach for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean you can be a bad actor. You know, Hunter Biden, like, he can get away with anything that I couldn't get away with, and it's fine. Like, just call it out. Like, I, you know, again, there, I, I promise you, someone's going to try to cancel me for that one, but I, I don't give a shit. Like, bring it. Like, please show me someone with common sense that doesn't, like, even someone on the left isn't like, okay, fine. Don't cancel me. I can't don't take it Don't cancel Sean, okay? I he, can't he, take it. He, he can't, I'm know, not the son of a billionaire. Yeah, I can't, you know, I can't you know, take I, being canceled anymore. But, uh, yeah, guys, thank you again. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Go check out donjuniorgold.com. Listen to this. Like, the world is going to shit. It's probably good uh, to diversify your portfolio, uh, to have other options. And again, it's really critical. A, a whole tenant of this podcast is going to be shedding a light on those who are willing to support the conservative cause. We've seen how quickly people will cancel that. We've seen how quickly they'll throw you off. We'll see what they do to you, attack your family. It's like, these people would put you in the gulag. So if someone's going to go out there and have the balls to support a conservative cause... You know, if you're going to look that way, I'm not saying do whatever you want. But, like, if you're looking at something, like, take the time to find the companies that share your values. So, Don Jr., D-O-N-J-R, gold.com. It's Gold Co. Uh, they've been awesome. They'll, they'll teach you about it. You'll learn about it. you make your own decisions. But, uh, again, support those who believe in the stuff that you believe in and who will put their, you know, their business, their lives, you know, on the line to fight for the stuff that we all believe in. So, I really appreciate them. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, it's been awesome. I think we went really late, but I, I'll, I'll do a couple minutes of locals <laughs> as, as well. Uh, you know, Sean, if you want, I'll do that. You go get a beer. Uh, yeah, relax. Good. Kimberly will get you good. a beer, and uh, we'll come down, hang out, maybe have a cigar before this is all over. So thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. You're the best, and we'll see you uh, probably on Monday.